0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode six of The Dork Depot. I'm your host, Matthew Godus, Sriracha. Thank you all so much. Tuning in yet again, I am super pumped about this episode. So excited. This is, my guess, going to be the longest episode I've done yet. Hopefully it's not so long that it's unlistenable. Unlistenable? Is that a word? Godus, you got to stop, man. Hopefully it's not so long that uh it's unenjoyable to listen to. I think that's maybe the better way to go. But this is a big episode. There's a lot I want to talk about and what I have written to talk about plus my normal rambling. It's going to be a lot. We are talking about indie games today and it's a kind of a special episode to me one because I'm a big fan of indie games. I think they're extremely important. We're going to talk about why i think they're so important but also i've got a lot of input from my friends and you know i talk about my friends a lot on this podcast um you know the group of friends that i play with and i pick some of their brains because i have a very specific set of games that i play and styles of games i play and they have theirs so i think you guys will really like this um we'll get into what we're doing with it all but you know, just to start, indie games are, they're, they're so damn special. And they're not even, it's not just that they're special. They're important. They are the fuel that drives the gaming world. Indie games and indie game developers. And it, they have an unabashed fear in releasing games against the norms. Or games that, if it was a A title you may call unpolished. They don't care about graphics per se. Um, It's not to say they don't care. They just are limited by budget. So they have to get creative with how they do their art, how they do their movement, their animation. And that creates a lot of emphasis on the other aspects of a game. The story, the characters, the voice, the text, the dialogue, whatever it may be, the soundtrack, the sound effects... All those other things have to be so good for an indie game to succeed because they don't have the resources that a AAA studio has. And what you end up getting is a game that oftentimes is better than any AAA title that's ever come out. If you ask a robust gamer what their... The Mount Rushmore experiment, I think, is always a good one. Mount Rushmore, so top four, okay? The Mount Rushmore has four presidents, right? You guys know this? South Dakota, only thing going on there, leading the world and being just south of North Dakota. Okay, top four games right now. Think of what those are in your head. I wouldn't be surprised, especially if you're a PC player, but consoles too, if one of those games is an indie game wouldn't surprise me, and I wouldn't even be surprised if there are plenty of people out there who, if you said top four influential games, not best games, but the most important to you, damn, you could probably come up with four indie games to fill that list for a lot of people. So, it's so important, and while we're talking about all this, you know... I want you guys to think about what your favorite indie games are and, you know, something to note and really put out there is, you know, we talk about how, okay, indie games may come across as unpolished. Um, You know, they may, they take a lot of advantage of early access and alphas and betas because they need that crowdfunding to fuel the project. And, of course, we all know there's a lot of them that get abandoned and left by the wayside and you're stuck within a very incomplete game. And it's a shame, you know, that that happens because it makes it so hard for the indie developers who are hyper passionate about their projects. So if you're one of those guys or girls that are out there struggling in this indie space, we see you, we love you, we appreciate you. I wish I could buy every indie game for the sake of supporting them. That's obviously not feasible. Um, My library on Steam is, I would say, probably 95% indie games. (laughs) And um, we're going to talk about a lot of them today. What I love about indie games, though, they don't fall into the norms. They are happy to do things that AAA titles won't. So think about AAA gaming right now. It is... A Call of Duty game, every fucking, you know, two years or whatever it is, a reskinned Dark Souls game, and it's either a Star Wars variant or something like that. You know, it's FIFA and Madden and NBA over and over and over again with nothing new uh given to the players for those games. It's grand theft auto every 25 years there's just you look at all these major titles or it's remakes right now remakes are the big thing remakes and remasters which you see a lot of in hollywood as well they're just taking old ideas that were successful using new resources to refresh it you get a lot of the groundwork's already done for you some remakes very well fucking done i think the final fantasy 7 remake final fantasy 7 remake is a great example of a game that is very different than the original there's enough there that if you played it if if you gave that to me as a kid and you said hey play this i'd be like this is final fantasy 7 but it's just different you would be able to make that connection but indie game developers are not scared to do things like platformers storytelling games, retro RPGs, real-time strategy games. When's the last AAA real-time strategy game that came out? StarCraft II, you know? Um, Management and simulation games, roguelikes, uh, just so many different types of games that are out there. So I want to get into those. I want to talk about how those developers have propelled the gaming market. And some of them have propelled themselves into gaming stardom. And we're going to talk about a few of those today. We're also going to be talking about, you know, some of them, have put themselves in the Mount Rushmore of all-time video games as an indie developer, so we're going to get into that. So before I get into my list, which will be a little bit more comprehensive, I asked some of my friends for their top three indie games. Now, I was pleasantly surprised that there was quite a bit of overlap between either my list and theirs, or their own list's which saved me a little bit of research because obviously I haven't played all these games. I had to do some digging and research and kind of get an idea of at least what the game is so I could talk about it. Um, I want you guys, as I talk about the friend and their games, to really think about what you can ascertain about them from the games that they have given me. And I think that's something that's really unique that only indie games can do. If I ask you, if somebody asks me, right? Okay, name your three favorite uh, AAA title games, okay? I might say two to three Final Fantasy games. Very possible. Major AAA games. And I might put in, you know, one other game. trying to think. Gran Turismo. Maybe that's one that's really influential to me as a kid. Two big RPGs and a racing game. It doesn't. It tells you I like RPGs and it tells you that I like racing games, but it doesn't really tell you much about me. But if you ask for my three favorite indie games, and I I don't want to tell you what those are right now, but think about the answers that my friends give and that I give. You can really figure out a little bit. It unveils a layer of somebody. I'm not saying it's as good as you know a zodiac sign, but <laughs> It it certainly gives you kind of their vibe, right? You know, what they like. And for me, I like gritty. I like mature themes. Things that AAA titles don't want to talk about or don't want to do. It's too controversial. It's too depressing. I like that in a game. I want my game to really get into my emotions and I want to be absorbed and I want it to be dark i want it to be challenging i want it to be rewarding and you don't always get that you know with AAA games so um as far as the rules i screened everything the best i could it's very hard to gain the information on how many employees worked at a developer especially a small developer where there's not a lot of information about them in the first place prior, you know, to this particular game's launch. um, There's probably one or two games that you might say, eh, I don't know if that's really an indie game. And I think you'd be fair in saying that. But I think for the most part, it's true to the indie game. My internal thought was around 20 people or so as a small indie studio. Um, You know, I think there's maybe some examples of some other ones, but it doesn't have to necessarily be one person. I think everything that's on this list will pretty much check that box with one or two notable exceptions, maybe just depends on how gray you want to be. And we're also talking about at the time of that game's release, you know, where they were a lot of these studios now probably have quite a few more people because all of these games were so successful in their own right. So, without further ado, let's jump into my buddy Dordan's three games. Now, all I asked for my friends were the titles. I did all the research myself. I have not played most of the games that they recommended. However, I've either watched them play on a stream or I'm at least familiar enough with the game. But there are some that I have just never seen up until they were recommended to me. Uh, one in particular really jumps out at me that I'm going to have to play, and we'll we'll talk about that when I get there. But uh, the other thing, too, I just want to say, there's no wrong answers here, guys. You know, you could ask 10,000 people what their top 3 to 10 indie games are, and you will not get two matching answers. I promise you that, especially not if you're trying to put them in an order. These are not in any particular order amongst everyone and mostly myself too my list which is longer than everybody else's not in any particular order except for maybe the top three and we'll get to those when i get to them but for dordan my buddy dordan everybody knows i've been friends with dordan a long time um first game and i think this is kind of a no-brainer in terms of uh indie game success is bastion uh developed by super giant games it's a action rpg where you play as the kid And you move through a a gorgeous, hand-drawn, floating fantasy environment. You fight different types of of enemies. It's really a stretch. Well, I shouldn't say it's a stretch. Supergiant Games, as of the Wikipedia, as of 2023, has about 23 employees, is what it says. So, again, that 20 mark... um, and they've had some really big hits, so I'm sure they've grown, because they also made uh, Hades, which is another fantastic game, which I'm surprised was on nobody's list. Um, but Bastion is it's wonderfully drawn. It's an epic, epic game with a wonderful, wonderful design. Um, and again, I'm not doing deep dives on my friends' games. I'm just going to kind of skim over them a little bit, give you a little backstory on them. Uh, this is not like a comprehensive game review. I just want to make that clear. Uh, Cuphead is Dorden's second game developed and published by Studio MDHR. Uh, it was released in 2017. It won the world over with its amazing hand-drawn animations. It has a full jazz, jazz ensemble soundtrack. Um, it has polished and precise gameplay. I'm not much of the platformer, 2D shooter kind of player. They just don't appeal to me now the way... Uh, that they used to when I was younger. But there is no denying that Cuphead is a fantastic example of what an indie studio can do. Ten people worked on Cuphead, by the way. Ten. The entire game. There are games with hundreds of people that don't look a tenth as good as Cuphead does. Um, I would love to see... I think Cuphead's a great example of indie games... I would love to see like a really in depth like documentary on how they made that game. Uh, the third pick and a shared pick between Dorden and also uh, my buddy I am Who, by the way, if you love indie games, go to Twitch.tv/slash I am Go give him a follow. Absolute stud of an Irishman, amazing game player. He, pl- this guy, fucking grinds. Okay, grinds through video games. Go join his community. Go join his Discord. Go check him out. Twitch.tv/slash I am Ferico. We're gonna get to his games as well. But one of their shared, jo- uh, both had the same answer was Hollow Knight. And again, I think that's really a no brainer. Developed and published by Team Cherry. It's a Souls-like, uh, very difficult 2D platformer. Released in 2017. The player controls a little uh, silent knight. Is I don't think he has a name. I think he's nameless refer to as the night, and it seems kind of simple enough when you play it but as you play you start to unlock a lot more about the lore the origins of this infection you're working to fight off uh, the depth of your character and the story and it's much deeper than it really appears on the surface and it's just aided by this exquisitely styled like dark grim art style where it's not it's like dark and vibrant at the same time. It's really well done, and it has an amazing soundtrack, which you're gonna hear me talk about soundtracks a lot, and we're gonna get into that a little bit later. But just know, fucking solid soundtrack. Um, it's it's robust gameplay, and it has a variety of potential endings. There there's not just a linear story. Your choices kind of matter a little bit in the game, and anytime. You have that, you create replayability, something a lot of AAA games don't have in their story mode. So, kudos to Team Cherry. Uh, next friend on the list, we have Eodon. Uh, Iodon and I have been friends for a very long time. Uh, in fact, I've known Eodon and Dordan longer than any of the other friends that are on this list. Graveyard Keeper, not surprised that this is on Eodon's list. He's a big fan of this. Um, A graveyard-themed management simulation game developed by Lazy Bear Games, a Russian studio, released in 2018. I love management and simulation games. They're some of my favorites, and you'll see that on my list. It's very apparent. And this one is just no different. Um, think of it like if Stardew Valley, but instead of crops, you had bodies. Because you could bury them like crops, or you can refine them into other goods. Uh, and some more morally dilemma-inducing ways to utilize them. So, I love the premise. The art style is fantastic. Like I said, anything that's a management sim game, I already gravitate to. Um, because, you know, I like to make my games work for some reason. Uh, next on his list, and this might be one of the more controversial ones just because of its timing. Um... Is Oxygen Not Included? Released in 2017 by Clay. And by, okay, really quick while we're on this, it's Clay. Okay, it's not Clee, It's not Cly, It's not Lay. It's Clay. Okay, it's Clay. There's a whole thing about it. Go to their channel. It's Clay. Okay. Uh, This is one of my favorite games as well. Uh, Very easily could have been on my list. It's a simulation survival game. You have a start with a party of three. I think they were called like, replicants or something or duplicates i can't remember what they call them in the game and you're surviving in i i think it's like technically an asteroid but it's, it's a different world you have to manage resources and food equipment health uh the character's hygiene. they'll have traits and of course oxygen obviously very easily drawn from the title of the game right you run out of oxygen quickly base building and setup research all that stuff is there fantastic um the reason i think that maybe this is a bit of a stretch is because i feel like at this time clay was a fairly large studio but i don't know that for sure and i'm really not gonna dig into um into it so it's good enough for me uh third on his list and also a shared uh choice with starry Del, who actually all three of her games were on phasmophobia and then i think two of them are on my list um fuck this game fuck this game and everyone who plays phasmophobia okay it's published and developed by kinetic games and it's a paranormal horror game where you and your friends are a team of paranormal investigators you go ghost hunting and then everyone leaves you to fucking die in the building by yourself because they panic too easily, and I'm talking about you, Skippy and Edan. Stop leaving me alone! But um, for real, it's a it's a great game. It really is. It's a thrilling horror game. Uh, it's addicting. It requires you to work as a group. Think like Dead by Daylight style. You know, you're you're being hunted by this ghost, and you're trying to investigate and determine what kind of ghost it is. There's a ton of different locations. I can't. I think there's like 12 different locations, um, ranging from like houses and farms to mansions to bigger like mental institutions and prisons. All the ghosts have various clues, uh, respond to your tools in different ways. There's 24 different types of ghosts. And through all those, as you investigate, you have to figure out which kind of ghost you're dealing with. Obviously, as you're poking and prodding and irritating the spirit, the ghost will start to hunt players down and they'll kill you, obviously. And then, you know, you get rewarded by doing a, you know job well done. You get money. You can buy more and more equipment. That's how it works. Uh, Kadaga. Kadaga. It's a lovely Kadaga. She's one of my faves. Um, again, another one who only has one unique entry. Uh, the other two are on my list. Uh, and this was a really good one that I had forgotten about entirely. So kudos to her, For putting this out there. Uh, Again I think. Now it's not really a small studio. But at the time it was. uh, Ori and the Blind Forest. Developed by Moon Studios in 2015. It's a platform adventure game. And it's. Well known. um, Predominantly for a stunning graphic design. As players guide Ori. And. I can never. Is it C N Scene? A little wisp? i'm a wisp dordan through um you know through different puzzles and the story is to recapture the light of the three main elements um it's a very nature-driven game you're looking for waters winds and warmth um but if you're a deep story enjoyer this one's filled with really good storytelling as well there's some intricate and surprising plot twists and again it's accompanied by a top tier soundtrack, which is just so imperative, especially in a game like this, where everything that's just hitting your eyeballs and your earballs and your ball balls is so rich. So, I think we'll definitely do a dedicated podcast on soundtracks, video game soundtracks. I think that's going to happen for sure. Um, Next up is Astrosi. Now, in her top three, there is one shared. There's actually, well, there's two shared, one on my list, one on somebody else's list. So we'll get into both of those. Uh, the first one is Undertale, which was also a pick from Farico as well. Uh, and it was developed entirely by one person. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Undertale. Uh, developed by Toby Fox. Uh, some of the artwork and design by Temi Chang. But over, you're talking two people that designed this entire game. It is a role-playing story game where you play as a child who has fallen into the underground, which is a large area beneath the surface of the earth where monsters have been sent. And you have to navigate out of there, and you get these encounters with monsters as you go. However, there's no specific way that you have to deal with them you could be completely peaceful you could be kind of more neutral you could be outright violent towards them and you could go through the entire game without killing anything and when you have choices like that it feels very impactful when there are various endings and by god are there an undertale you have different endings based on how you played the game and that again we talk about replayability we talk about choices and how they matter and player agency all that stuff makes the game fantastic graphically is it spectacular no it's not if i'm honest with you but the merits of the game far outweigh how it looks and if you look um at the overall scoring of this game and i take scoring with a grain of salt anyways but ninety two out of hundred on Metacritic, ten out of ten on Destructoid, ten out of ten on i g n nine out of ten on GameSpot, nine and a half uh out of ten on game Informer it i mean this thing just ninety five to hundred percent on every critic site that there is for video games so to definitely if you haven't played it, go check it out now her her other game again, I got three from everybody, but one of those is on my list. Is called Ib, and I had never heard of this game. Uh, developed by Corey Studios. Koori, um, it's a 2D exploration story horror adventure game set in a mysterious and creepy art gallery. It's kind of the definition from the Steam page, uh, mostly. All my friends gave me amazing suggestions, and most of them I was familiar with. This one not a clue so i had to do some digging on this and when you go to the steam page of this again it's called ib ib you get hit with this stunning yet like haunting melody as the video plays through and it's a story around being this young girl that seems to be trapped in an art gallery after some mysterious things happen and you've got to find your way out um the graphics for the game really aren't that special, but the paintings in the art gallery are actually really uniquely designed and colorized, and I think it's a really cool, like, juxtaposition of focal point of the game versus the game itself, and I watched some playthrough of the game on, um, it's like a nine-year-old video on Markiplier's channel. It's certainly creepy. It is designed around a very cool story, and I am definitely going to give this a shot. And we'll be talking about it on another podcast when I do. Because uh, it's it's very interesting. All right. Next up is Fetico, who only has one unique entry on here. Uh, his other one was Hollow Knight and Undertale, which is on Dordan and um, Astrosi's lists. So his was Freedom Planet. And... Again, this one I was completely unfamiliar with, and the second I checked it out on Steam, I knew exactly why he picked this. Uh, Developed by Galaxy Trail, released in 2014. You look at it for about two seconds, and you'll instantly draw where the inspiration came from a very well-known blue little hedgehog. Don't let that take away from what the game is, what lies before you. If you're a platform fan or you're a fan of old-school Sonic games, go give this a look. You will not be disappointed by this. Music, obviously a very definitive factor of Sonic games. It's there. Art style, it's there. There are some voice lines in it that are really well done. It's very immersive. It's got really good gameplay. And it's got a more robust combat system than a traditional Sonic game or platformer would offer, typically. It's absolutely spot-on a wonderful looking game. Go give that a shot. And then that brings us to the last friend that I have. <laughs> it's not the last friend I have, but it's the last friend that I took input from because I didn't want this episode to be 900 hours long, uh, which is Crescent. And the theme of what I tell you guys, right? Listen to the games that the people submit. You know, you have Astrosi who gave me Ib and Undertale, very graphics, non-existence for both games. Very story driven though. You know Eodon you can't tell anything out of Eodon stuff, but Dordans you can. And you also can with Crescent. And again, you can ask you can actually kind of start to build the type of at least gamer they are based on these choices. First up for him, Vampire Survivors, uh probably the newest game. Actually two of his, I think both were 2022 game releases and it proves that even now they're still making banger hits man indie games they're still strong it was developed by Luca Galante it's a roguelike shoot 'em up game you fight continuous and increasingly stronger waves of monsters with the goal is to survive as long as possible and it's one of those games like roguelites are you're not designed to win and in fact you can't win you just it gets harder and harder until you die it's like life You don't play to win, you play to lose. And that losing is the experience. Risk of Rain 2 is his second game developed by uh, Hopu Games. And when he threw it at me, I was like, well, should this just be Risk of Rain 1? The two games are very similar in what they are, but graphically totally different games. The first game was extremely successful. It was a... the development team is the definition of indie it's a two-person student team from university of washington and risk of rain to another roguelite you could see what kind of degenerate sicko crescent is where you're killing monsters on planet you're looting chests you're getting stronger offensively defensively as it gets progressively and progressively harder to see how far you can get it's a grind fest it has multiplayer all games are made better by multiplayer. The fact that there are still games that come out that don't... Don't get me wrong. If it's a story game, it doesn't need multiplayer. If it's a pure story game, RPG game, it doesn't need it. But if it's any kind of shoot 'em up roguelike, grinding, dungeon crawler, any of that stuff... Man, it's usually better. Usually better with multiplayer. So this supports up to four players... And his last game, also from 2022, from Blazing Bit Games, is Nightmare Reaper. And kudos to them, Blazing Bit Games. uh, There's a playable free demo you could get on Steam. And that's a really nice attention to detail that a lot of, certainly a lot of AAA games, a lot of indie games don't offer you. Very nice. You could play it a little bit, see if you like it. It's a clearly retro-styled first-person shooter um, meets, like, looter shooter meets, like, roguelike. Perfect balance of old school, new school. If you have seen this game, you instantly know what it's about. I've watched Crescent play this game before uh, on streams, on Discord streams. It is hands-down the best modern Duke Nukem Doom inspired game that I've seen and it's the pacing the level design is so damn good it's really really entertaining to watch this game be played I'm not the player base of this type of game but if I had to get into a first-person shooter you know roguelike this is gonna be it um Hands down. It's it's a wonderful game. I've really enjoyed watching him play it. It's very entertaining to watch. And that tells you a lot about the game. If you can enjoy it without even playing it, how good of a game it can be. All right. We're getting into my top 10. And I've got some honorable mentions as well. Now, this is in really no particular order. And some of these I grouped multiple games together. Because they are all similar. And I'll talk about their differences. Again, this isn't a comprehensive review of a game. It's just a podcast talking about some indie games and the indie games that I like and why I like them. And the first one on here is RimWorld, developed by Ludian Studios. I think probably a lot of people know what RimWorld is. It's a group of colonists um, establishing a new colony to settle on in a hostile world. And it's this kind of storyteller driven game that guides you as you play Uh, there's just this huge number of random things that can happen that do happen and that's what makes the story as you're playing it it's very 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 cool it's a lot of fun the characters all have different needs different wants Um, they have things they like, things they don't like. Your colonists may hate each other. There's also a lot of RPG details. Characters can be siblings or ex-lovers, parents. Um, You know, there's so many different things. They could be, you know, you could have a colonist and then you get attacked by raiders. And one of the raiders is one of your colonists' wife. You know, and you have to make that decision. Are you going to try and capture her? take her prisoner, convert her to your group so she could be with her husband. There's a lot of really cool storyline to this otherwise kind of colony management and base building game. All that being said, you're you're in control of what your colonists do for the most part, uh, how they go about their day. You can emphasize on lots of different things. You could build your bases in a variety of ways with a variety of materials. If you really want an amazing example of how RimWorld can be treated as a story game, go to YouTube and go put in Pete Complete. He has wonderful playthroughs of RimWorld. Uh, I actually I support him on Patreon. That's how big of a fan I am of his stuff. Where he plays RimWorld on these brutal difficulties and the hardest possible starts and areas. And he just... Makes these compelling and story-rich playthroughs, kind of figuring things out as he goes, along with some input from the viewers. So, really, really cool uh, gameplay. Really, really cool. Again, that's peak complete on YouTube. He also does it with some other games, uh, like XCOM and I think Mass Effect and some others. But he just started a new RimWorld series. I think he, as of the time of this recording, he's only got two episodes in. So if you want to jump into it, now's a really good time, but you can always go back and rewatch his old stuff. It's fantastic. Um, His Ice World, where he does a solo naked colonist on, like, the glacier, probably one of the best playthroughs I've ever seen. Uh, I wish I played RimWorld half as good as he does, so there you go. Next on the list is Prison Architect. Uh, Developed by IntroVersion Software originally, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, The game, it visually looks a lot like RimWorld. And at its core, it's a construction colony management game. And it's at that level that it seems very similar to RimWorld. In fact, it's so similar that I actually had these as one entry where I was going to group games together. These were two that I grouped together. But... Actually, the more I started kind of diving into it, I realized they're pretty different games. Um, RimWorld drives, like, this story where Prison Architect is much more focused on the micromanagement on, like, a global level of your prison, uh, the prisoners and the staff. And there's a lot of moral dilemmas, how you treat your prisoners. Do you have capital punishment in your prison or not? Do you work towards reforming? do you take in you know minimum security level prisoners or do you want more violent maximum security and gang members there aren't really individual traits of prisoners that are very unique like or histories like you would get in rimworld at least not that really matter but there's a lot of a lot of different challenges that await you nonetheless you could have a you get to pick if you have a female prison or a male prison. If you have female prisoners, you will get female prisoners that are pregnant. And you have to consider, you know, how nursing and child care in the facility goes. Certain prisoners may have a reputation as a snitch or even Lex, uh, ex-law enforcement. And that puts a huge target on their back. And you don't know, by the way. That's one of the things I love about this game. You don't know who your prisoners are. You need to identify those snitches make them confidential informants or convert others into confidential informants um, you can gain information from them but then you put them at risk and the more information you're getting from them they're trying to bring contraband in you're trying to get it out there's a lot here uh, obviously if you have a snitch or something and they're you know they get killed in the showers You get pretty heavily penalized for that. So uh, there's different gangs. I think there's three different gangs, and they'll all jockey for strength and position in the prison. They'll start full-blown riots. And a fun fact, if you're lucky enough, you might even have me in your prison. Uh, I am a very early supporter of this game. I have a name-in-game character, so I am in the game with my own custom bio and crime that I put in there. Um, I've been invested into this game since, like, Alpha 10, years and years ago. In 2019, Chris DeLay and Mark Morris, um, the developer and publisher of this game, the developer and producer of this game, I should say, sold the rights to Paradox. And in true fucking Paradox fashion... They really started to fuck this game up with DLCs and it was heartbreaking. It's very difficult to watch a project that you're passionate about go this way and it's been kind of hard for me to get back into it. Um, I get why they did it. It was a very flushed out game. Didn't really need anything other than just management at that point in terms of, you know, they didn't need, there were no bugs for the most part. It was a pretty polished game all the features they wanted were in there and they had other projects and they're an indie studio they can't hold on to a game and support it and create their other passions so you know and you know they got families to feed too so if you ever listen to this chris mark i forgive you even though you broke my fucking heart next up is terraria um a two D action adventure sandbox game developed by Relogic. It was released in two thousand and eleven, I believe. It starts with a procedurally generated uh, world where the players got to gather material. You could build structures. As you build those structures and you hit certain milestones on them, you'll get more and more NPCs that join your settlement. Uh, those NPCs give you access to a lot of different, you know, items and parts of the game. It's. You know, you could fight off monsters, you dig into the depths of the earth, you take on, you know, some really hard challenges the deeper you go. It's a really unique take on a genre that's quite enjoyable. It has multiplayer, which is a lot of fun. I love sandbox games where it has multiplayer. You know, you and two other friends could go play a Terraria game and the three of you will be having totally different experiences even if you're working cooperatively. Uh, You know, on what it is that you're working on. So it's beautifully drawn. uh, Pixel style 2D game. I love this game. I spent a lot of time playing this. I know a lot of people probably know this game. And again, you're talking about a real absolute hit of a game that, you know, very few people were a part of making. I mean, some, but this game is better than so many AAA titles before it. Next on my list is a shared pick between not just myself, but also Astrosi and Stardew, and that is Stardew Valley. And I think this is a peak example of the power of indie games. It was developed over the course of four and a half years by one guy, Eric Barone, who goes by Concerned Ape. It is a farm slash life simulation RPG that allows you to uh, really play any way you want. You don't have to just focus on your farm, but even if you do, there's various ways to do that. You can focus on, you know, fruit producing trees or crops or animals or refined goods. You can focus on quests, gathering quests for the towns folks. You can go mining. You can go fishing. You can do combat. Uh, in the mines. You can work on just adding structures to your farm. You could go romance Haley. You could divorce Haley and then romance her sister Emily. Um you know, you could save Shane. You could save him from himself. It's okay Ashtrosi. You could leave it for someone else. It's all there. And with mod support there's no shortage of additions to the game. Uh that is considered by a lot of people to be one of the greatest video games of all time and I certainly have that same sentiment. Multiplayer is absolutely exquisite on this. Uh, Storcy and I have spent, oh God, who knows how many hours we've spent playing this game. And we play one farm together. We have two totally different experiences. Again, the way I play and the way she plays, we're playing the same yet a different game. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. There's so much to do. I'll go into the mines. I'll fight monsters I'll go fishing. She likes to do the crops and the animals. We fight over who we're going to marry. We've been challenging each other on our playthroughs to try and find new townspeople to marry. I have, however, inadvertently named both my daughters after two of uh, the NPCs in there, Penny and Abigail. So it's weird for me to marry them now and romance them because it's, yeah. Uh, So I did take that off the table for myself because I wasn't paying attention wasn't planned I just happened to be names that me and my wife liked and uh I was like hey cool because she wouldn't let me name them after you know blizzard characters I really wanted to do were like Final Fantasy characters I wanted to name them like Shiva and Siren or Allawi and Zoe but those got shot down Uh, (laughs) can't imagine why uh it's a wonderful experience it's, you know, even after seven years, Concerned Ape is still updating the game for free with not just balancing and patching, we're talking major additions, new zones, new NPCs, new stories, new in-town events, new dialogue. It is a masterclass on what one dedicated person can do with a project that they are extremely passionate about. And how good it can be. All right, we have our first uh, full grouping of games. And the first one on this list is actually a pick from Kadogar as well. And that is Among Us, Goose Goose Duck, and Town of Salem. And I decided to lump all three of these together. And we all know what they are. Uh, granted, Town of Salem is more of the social aspect rather than like actively moving around a map. But the premise is the same deducing who is guilty and trying to survive and share information. Among Us, developed by Innersloth, uh, Goose Goose Duck, developed by Gaggle Studios, in Town of Salem by Blank Media Games. No game in our lives will cause more friendships to be ruined than these games. This is the modern-day Monopoly, people. Of the three, I prefer Goose Goose Duck. It's a shameless ripoff of Among Us. Among Us did it first. Goose Goose Duck ripped it off. But they did a better job. Hate to say it. Uh, There's more intriguing maps. There's better tasks. There's better roles. There's better ways to kill. It's a lot more unique, I think, in the actual gameplay itself. Push comes to shove. If I have to pick one or the other, that's what I'm picking. Town of Salem I really like, but it's... One, the community is probably the most toxic gaming community I have ever played online with. And two, it's very passive... And sometimes there's just no counterplay, it feels like. So it's maybe not always as rewarding. Me and my friends, we all play Goose Goose Duck. We play probably... We'll play, and then we'll all hate each other for a week. um, Not wanting to ever see the others again. And then we'll play it again after we get over it. And then do it again. The... Just the absolute... The desperate please. The bold-faced lying and the outright salt and aggression that comes out of all of us while we play this game never gets old. Never. It never gets old. It's amazing. Hearing somebody, when you are somewhere and the person you have killed four games in a row just walks into that room and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and you know they don't care, it's great. Um... This game has created a lot of fun moments for us. It's created a lot of toxic moments for us. But that's probably what makes it a great game. If there's anything that I can say about this game, um, it's the superstitions that it fucking creates. There was a... When we were... Me and my friends, when we were playing Among Us, like when Among Us was really just starting to come out and be popular, I would host, and there was a stretch where... I was killer. I probably realistically, the funny thing is it was so common. Kadoger was actually keeping track. I should see if she still has her spreadsheet, but I was probably the killer 15 out of 20 games. And the running joke was, oh, well, if Gotis is hosting, GOTUS is the killer. And that was like a year and a half ago. And to this day, when we play Goose, I won't even host anymore. Because the number of times we'll play and we'll be standing around, we'll be using, like, proximity chat, and somebody will be like, oh, is is hosting? And then somebody else will be like, yeah. And then I'll just get killed every fucking time by, like a, a, like, a sheriff role or something. So fucking infuriating. I hate my friends. I really, I'm looking for new friends. So if anybody wants to be my friend, let me know. All right. Uh, This is another grouping of games. There's quite a few of them here. I really had a hard time separating some of them. You definitely couldn't say that they're all similar. They're, there's definitely some distinct differences. But I think at its core, you kind of know what you're playing. And that would be The Long Dark from Hinterland Studios in 2017. The Forest... From End Night Games in 2018. Green Hell from Creepy Jar in 2019. Um, Raft from Axolot Games in 2018. And then Stranded Deep from Beam Team. Um, which I think hit early access like 2015 but was full release 2022. All of those games, right? The Forest, Green Hell, The Long Dark, Stranded Deep, and Raft are... First-person survival games at their core. The locations vary. The stories vary. and There's a couple of key mechanics that maybe separate each game. Graphics are a little different in some of them. The enemies are different. But the principle is the same. You have nothing. You're in a hostile environment. And you have to find a way to survive while unlocking the story as you go. Of the five of them, my favorite is The Long Dark in a solar player a solo player setting. It's more focused on survival. You're fending off wolves, bear, and easily the most terrifying animal of all time, the moose. In a kind of I don't want to say post apocalyptic, but a abandoned winter Arctic town that is extremely expansive, by the way. The map is huge. For a strictly survival experience, I think it's the best one. There's no building in the long dark. It's more about survival. Uh, the forest, you are in a plane crash. Your son gets taken away on a mysterious island. Kind of think Lost meets Survival Games. Uh, you're fighting over, you know, you're fighting cannibals and these abominations on this deserted forested island. Trying to find your son. Um... Green Hell puts you in the Amazon rainforest. You're a researcher um, with your significant other. Uh, She gets taken or goes missing, and you have to go and find her while you're fending off uh, the animals and also native tribes. And then Raft, I would say, is probably the least like the others. Raft, you are in a floating ocean, tons of trash in it that you're trying to collect as you drift along. Uh, Every so often you get attacked by a shark. As you collect more and more resources of just junk from the ocean, you could start to build a bigger raft. You could start to find islands, start to grow food, fish. And there's actually a really good little story hidden in the game. I mean, I shouldn't say hidden, but when you actually start to do the story mode, you're like, holy shit, there's, there's some thought into this. It's really, really good. Uh, so you're trying to find civilization, or you know your your last hopes of civilization. All of the games have a more unique storyline, I think, than what meets the eye. And I don't know if Green Hell and the and the forest are very similar. Um, Stranded Deep is also up there as well, where you're just on like a deserted set of islands, um, trying to get out you know, trying to be found. There's no... In the forest, you have the cannibals. In the green hell, you have the uh, tribes. You don't have that in Shredded Deep, at least not the last time I played it. Um, you're really just kind of survival-based more than anything. You are encouraged to do a lot of um, diving and stuff. So, of course, you have sharks to contend with um, Is a go-to trope. But the forest has a very intricate AI that <laughs> I think they did patch some of it because it was kind of exploitable. But you could actually at one point befriend the cannibals in the forest. Like they respond to how you respond to them. And at first time playing the game, especially early on, you know, it was clear it was an indie game. And the fact that there was that much detail put into it was really impressive. So kudos to End Night Games for doing that. Uh, for a multiplayer experience, uh, Raft is easily the best one to play with uh, the Forest being a close second. Dordan, my friends Jordan Iadon, and I have, I don't even know how many hours we have in the Raft together. Um, you know, playing that, we've built some pretty expansive floating bases Again, it's a game where the three of us could be playing and have very various kind of games to play. Typically, one of us kind of focuses on building. One of us focuses on exploring the islands and fighting off the wildlife. One of us focuses on diving and fishing. There's a lot of teamwork in it. It's a really fun game. So if you're looking for something that's easy to learn, to play with your friends... That's fun, it's lighthearted. it's not hyper-serious, but has a good little story. Give the Raft a shot, um, that would be my recommendation out of that lot. Uh, Long Dark is much more, it's, it's not a roguelike, but it's easily the hardest learning curve. It's a game where you will likely die. Um, learning to deal with the wolves and that sort of thing really is its own chore in and of itself. The last entry on this list before I get to my top three. And before I get into my top three, I'm going to do some honorable mentions that I'll talk about very briefly. I won't dive into quite as deeply. This might be a case of recency bias because it's one of the games that I've played most recently here. Um, But coming out of Gummy, Studio Gummy Cap, words go to Studio Gummy Cat is Bear and Breakfast. And it puts him in control of Hank, who's a little lovable, curious, and kind of dopey bear in the forest who, curiosity of humans, makes him kind of build these quaint and comfortable little bed-and-breakfast resorts throughout uh, different locations. The art is gorgeous. I think it's so, so beautifully done. The story, it's whimsical. It's lighthearted. Dare I even say it's a little heartwarming? It is a bit bland after a while. It is a little grindy after a while. But the characters are memorable. The dialogue is very funny. The premise is good. It's a great little simulation management game. Um, It's way more robust than i thought it was when i started playing it and the game hooked me and i when i pick up a game i very quickly stop playing it usually games i've played so many games that if they don't have a very unique mechanic or something to really hook me quickly i will not play them again i, I just i have a mountain of games in my library that looked promising don't do it for me right away i want that instant gratification for the most part i need something that hooks me and it's usually in the story more than anything and baron breakfast did it it did a great little job of if it had just been a hands you okay you're this baron you're building b&b's okay that's cute in and of itself But the fact that there are resources together and some NPCs to interact with and you kind of got to unlock it as you go and you kind of learn this little (laughs) dumb Hank bear as you play just makes it all that much more charming. All right, getting into the honorable mentions and then I've got three more and the reason I did this is because I hate when top 10 lists are predictable and I think everybody knows what's going to be at number one here. (laughs) So... I figured I would do the honorable mentions here and then give you three more games after. In no particular order, just like the rest of this list, couple of other indie games that I love that I think are worth playing, uh, first being Project Zomboid from the Indie Stone. It's a open-world, isometric view, kind of roguelike action zombie survival game. It is unforgiving. In fact, the story starts with, This is how you died. And then it goes into the game as if you're gonna relive everything that happened up until you died because it knows you're going to, which is very fitting. It is very tedious i wish I wish there was a little bit better learning curve to the game, but if you're willing to invest the time into it, um definitely go and do it also if you're looking for you know anytime i i think about these games especially these kind of games that tell a story i like to share with you any of the youtubers or you know series that i watch that guy preds um on youtube that guy preds p-r-e-d-z project zomboid guru okay savant dare i say very entertaining series where he tries to clear out the entire map of zombies, which aside from the fact is extremely difficult, it's technically not even possible because they do repopulate on certain events. So a really cool series. Go check that out. Next up, mini motorways from dinosaur polo club. It's a little puzzle strategy game for the makers of mini Metro. Phenomenal time killer game. Uh, I suggested this game to my buddy corb and he plays all the time now and we try and beat each other's score uh, which is really a lot of fun when you have some competition into it it's a great game with a very simple premise that you learn every time you play you learn better and better and better where you have different colored stores and different colored houses and you have to get the traffic to flow as best you can we've all played games like that uh next i wanted to do one dedicated vr game in here um i do have a vive and i do play vr on occasion and i think beat saber has to be on here from beat games uh virtual reality rhythm you know game is what it is we all know what beat saber is absolutely fantastic it's so beautifully executed and with the use of mods to import music that you like as opposed to the royalty free music you have a absolute recipe for success. Um, it is fun to play, but I also think Beat Saber is one of those really good cardio games disguised as a video game. So if you're a person that maybe is looking for a way to be a little more active in life, and let's be honest, we all are, Beat Saber is a really good way to get a little bit of a cardio in without even realizing it. You know, is it a full-blown Groggan's workout? Of course not. But does it get you up? Does it get you moving? Does it get you sweating? Get your heart going? Yeah, it really does. Um, especially if you start getting a little better at the game and playing the higher difficulties. So, And it's visually, it's, it's gorgeous to watch. And it's very satisfying. And if nothing else, you feel like a fucking Jedi when you play. Uh Darkest Dungeon, Red Hook Studio. It's a roguelike RPG Dungeon Crawler. Absolutely one of my favorite games of all time in terms of when I want to really torture myself. There's not a lot of roguelikes I will throw myself at. This is one of them. Phenomenal game. The grittiness of it, the darkness of it, not just in the name, but the, the themes and the you know, the way that you build up sanity and can reduce it. I like that. Doki Doki Literature Club from Team Salvato. It initially comes across as this lighthearted dating sim, borderline honeycam kind of game, and it turns into a really dark psychological horror thriller. Um, it breaks the fourth wall in a really interesting ways. It's a lot of fun. Don't if you've seen it and you've heard people recommend it. You're like, "I don't play hentai games." It's not a fucking hentai game. Go give it a shot. It's got a really killer story. Um, moving on, Subnautica from Unknown Worlds Entertainment. It's an action-adventure survival game. Thought about putting it with The Forest and all those other games, but I decided not to. It's really good. It's one of the most gorgeous games I've ever seen. I'd like I don't know. I always felt like it was missing something and not guns, by the way, they designed the game very specifically to not have guns in it because the, um, developer, you know, wanted to be part of the solution, not the problem. And today, you know, so many games have guns. I want to make a game that shows you, you can have fun, um, without them. And he did. And it's a phenomenal game, but It just feels like it's missing something. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the story is not robust enough, I think, is maybe what it is. But it's very good. And, again, thematically, absolutely gorgeous. Firewatch from Campo Santo. It's a first-person adventure story game. Uh, You take the role of Henry, a Firewatch ranger in a national park, and you develop this relationship with another ranger on another fire tower named Delilah, and together you guys unlock and unravel this mystery in the park. It's very mature. I've stressed this enough. I love games that thematically... Or would the story kind of touch into some adult subjects? And this one does. It's creepy. It makes you question things. It might make you uncomfortable, you know, in certain aspects of your own life in some really deep ways. And I, I love that in a game. Next up, It Lurks Below. <laughs> um, Again... I would say this is borderline roguelike, action survival, RPG, dungeon crawler, 2D, kind of like Terraria. I think there's a lot of reasons why you would say that maybe this doesn't need to be on here. But, but, it's made with fucking David Brevik, okay? Who is the creator of Diablo. And I will absolutely suck his dick over anything he makes. There. I said it. I love David Brevik. I'm in love with you, David. I'm in love with you. Okay. Um, I don't really know where to go from there. It's a great game, though. It is everything. And David Brevick did the entire thing himself. Uh, to my knowledge, I think he maybe sourced some of the music, I think he said in an interview. Don't quote me on that. It's a masterpiece of a game, though, that he decided to do on his own. And David Brevik could go back to Blizzard. He could go anywhere he wants, okay? David Brevik is a god among men in the video game world. He wanted to do this externally simple game, internally extremely complex, different classes you could play. It's phenomenal. It's a great game. I don't know if Crescent has played this. I should gift this to him. This is a solid game. Going back to mature themes, This War of Mine from 11-Bit Studios. By the way, it lurks below, David Brevik. The studio is called Graybeard Games, by the way. Really wanted to make sure I got all the developers mentioned. This War of Mine, 11-Bit Studios, it's a gritty, dark story, adventure survival game where you you play as civilians in this war-torn and besieged city, and it takes all those heroic war games that we've all played that we all love and know so well and it gives you a really truthful and dark depiction of the realities of war and what that means as you watch people struggle to find food and medicine and safety and just how moral compasses can really go astray you know when you're at the brink of survival and This is happening right now in the world at the time of this recording. And, you know, I think of, I, I try not, I don't want to ever make this a political podcast. I obviously, from my family and my upbringing, you know, I think, and I'm, I'm standing and supporting of Israel, but I think of all the civilians, you know, and this is a worldwide thing where all civilians, you know, face the dangers and the realities and the struggles of war, of governments and groups that they probably don't fucking care about. You know, I think if if the world is ran by the average person, there'd be no war because nobody would give a shit. But I'm not going to get into a whole thing about it. Just know, if you want something that's a little darker, and uh, I do say that very seriously, this war of mine, that's where you want to be. Last one, and it's not even a game that I particularly care for. Um, but I think it it would be unfair to not mention it given its importance to the video game genre in general and what a powerhouse it became, and that's PUBG, uh the game created by Brendan Player Unknown Green. Look, for better or worse, this is the game that launched, you know, took over the world, it launched an entire genre of games. It inspired titles like Realm and Apex Legend and Fortnite and many others. And there's no denying its importance, okay? It was a phenomenal game. It was a great concept. I wanted to love the game. I wanted to be good at it. I was awful at it. But it has absolutely my best kill ever in one of these games where I snuck up on an enemy who was hiding in a bush, looking out over the rest of my team. And I murdered the shit out of him. And it felt so good. Now, that did end up actually being Dorden, who was on my team. And I didn't realize it, but I felt really fucking good in the moment. Okay, we're in the top three. And I thought, you know, I could put these in an order, but I can't. Again, this is in no particular order because all three of these games are super near and dear to me. It's still Clay, okay? Just to be clear. Don't Starve. Perhaps one of my all-time favorite games. Admittedly, I don't think you can call Clay a indie developer anymore after the success of this game in particular. But I'm counting them here. It's my podcast and I can do what I want. Um, look, Don't Starve is a gritty... 3d action adventure survival game it's a top down slash isometric camera uh it has a really fascinating plot and storyline that in the sandbox version of the game you really don't you're not handed but it's very subtly there if you investigate the items and the different voice lines um voice, music lines, I should say. I stand on a soapbox all the time, and I yell that Souls-like games are not fun. They're awful. I hate them. They're not enjoyable. I don't want to play a game where I'm just kiting shit, learning patterns, and dying over and over again. But that's really what Don't Starve is. Um, And... I'll go back to this game over and over and over again it's got permanent death it's harder than probably any of those games and I love it Um, (laughs) I don't know why it's just so goddamn endearing you have to manage your food your, your hunger, your health, your sanity while surviving extremely harsh environments where everything wants to fucking kill you the food can kill you The night time can kill you, will kill you if you're not near light. The hound attacks that happen periodically will kill you. The trees will kill you if you chop too many of them down. The bees, the giant chess pieces that have come to life. The little beefalo that you thought were peaceful until you run into them in mating season and then they kill you. Everything in this game wants to fucking kill you. The art style is whim yet vibrant yet cartoony yet detailed it's so unique the soundtrack enhances everything you do there's beautiful sounds all the characters are voiced and i do that with quotations by musical instruments except for wes who is a mime and has no sounds whatsoever uh, which is great um the characters all have their pros and cons and it leads to dramatically different playthroughs each time. And it's, you know, you're trying to just live as long as you can. There is a story mode that you go through to unlock the characters and stuff. Um, But then you can get to like kind of the open world or survival sandbox. And you don't have to play the story mode, by the way. In fact, you're not really given a choice. You just play it and then you can unlock it in your game if that makes sense it's divvied up to your four seasons so you get fall winter spring summer and if you somehow manage to get through a season you're going to each possess their own challenges um you know really with falls kind of the neutral season but then winter obviously it's cold food is scarce spring there's a lot of rain lightning Summer, everything is hot and, like, burst into flames. You're greeted by seasonal bosses, so even if you get through it, then you gotta deal with this fucking seasonal boss each time. Uh, it, it's just a fantastic game, okay? I've invested hundreds of hours into this game. I'm gonna continue to do so. Additionally, there's Don't Star Shipwrecked, which is, like, an island twist of the game that I think I actually prefer more I wish it got more update and love because I actually like the premise a lot more. And then there's Don't Starve Together, which is the multiplayer version of Don't Starve. Um, where all my friends join and then leave me to do all of the work while they make everything harder and they don't contribute. And you know, I'm talking about you, Dordan. Stop making henwheels. Next on the list. Vactorio oh boy where do we begin with this fucking time sink because honestly this game will consume you without you even realizing it's developed by Woob Woob Software hope I'm saying that right W-U-B-E and it was released in full release 2020 I think early access is 2016 Factorio, it's a top-down, kind of almost real-time strategy slash survival construction management game where you're a player, you crash land on this hostile planet filled with aliens who very much love their pristine world, and you as a human know but one thing, and that's how to fuck up a perfectly pristine world. So you have to start, you know, gathering basic materials, copper, iron, coal, wood by hand, building stuff by hand but then that lets you unlock like coal-powered miners and then smelters. So it'll start doing it automatically to an extent. And then you could start building conveyor belts to move goods around and arms to move stuff from one belt to another into one station. And you could start researching further and further into tech. Um, you know, start unlocking power, different types of stations and chemicals, Different refinements, batteries, artilleries, ammo, trains, engines, buggies, all all with the end goal of launching a rocket to get you off this planet. And the more and more you build, the more and more your pollution starts to gain the attention of the aliens. And they'll start sending the, you know, small raiding parties to you and then large raiding parties to you. The world is infinite. The aliens will continue to build and build and build and create bigger bases. You have to expand to get enough resources. They're finite. So if you find like a coal patch, you don't just have coal forever. You have coal until that's mined, And then you need to find more and you can't just find it. You have to move it to where all your other factories are. You could see how this really starts to go. Um and the more and more you build, the more and more you're putting your base at risk because it's getting harder and harder to defend. And then you got to start building turrets. Then you need to build ammo that automatically gets shipped to the turrets. There's so much into this game. And it's one of those, it's not even easy to play. It's, it's got a little bit of a learning curve, but to master it, I've been playing for hundreds of hours and I'm still not there. The combat isn't the main focus of the game. But it's rewarding, and if you're playing in multiplayer and you have somebody that is a bit of a murder hobo friend, i.e. Dordan, you want to put them in charge of military, that's a big enough task to keep them out of your fucking way. Well, you build proper buses and, you know, start making efficient smelter setups and power grids and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of math to the game if you want to min-max it, but you can also just kind of throw yourself at it. You'll find a lot of different ways to create your base. There's plenty to do. Go look, if you're living under a rock and you haven't played Factorio, go on YouTube and go watch some playthroughs because it's phenomenal. And that brings us to a little indie game called Minecraft from Mojang. This was the one game that universally all of us answered. All of us play it. (laughs) It's our go-to game I don't need to tell you anything. You know what it is. I don't need to tell you to go to YouTube and watch Hermitcraft. You're already doing that. It is the definition and pinnacle of indie game success. It is, I would say, on the Mount Rushmore of most important games of all time. Minecraft is up there. Okay? It's an all-encompassing game now it's a huge huge product it's not an indie game anymore you know Microsoft bought it it's got two teams it's on every console it's Bedrock Java but at its heart and core it's still just the open world sandbox game created by a guy named Notch and kudos to this guy for figuring it out. And it's the definition of a sandbox game. You load into the game. Go, if you really want to see something fun, go on YouTube and watch um series where gamers have their non-gamer friends or significant others or family members play Minecraft. Because Minecraft doesn't tell you anything. You just load in. You just kind of figure it out as you go. And it's okay. And it's as you just learn more and more i remember i joined minecraft what i thought was late but evidently it was before a lot of people there were still rubies in the game so however long ago that was and i didn't want to then research anything i just figured it all out as i went i didn't know what redstone was i had to figure out what redstone was you know when it came out and when i was messing with it You know, I learned I could put redstone torches by powered rails. That's how I figured it out. And that's all I thought redstone was for. Um, Ignoring the fact that you can build entire computer logic systems with it. You can gather resources. You could fight monsters. You could build epic buildings. You can create mini games. You can create full-blown games in Minecraft. Create automation. Create farms. Uh, Go exploring. You can... If none of that appeals to you and you just want to create music, you can create music with with note blocks and redstone. Note blocks can be tuned to all the different notes and their sound is changed based on what block they're on. And you can create different timings with redstone and repeaters. You can make full-blown MIDI tracks inside it. And then that's vanilla Minecraft. If you play Java like a civilized human being, you've got access to thousands and thousands and thousands of mods. Um, I have run a Minecraft server for probably the last five years, and we change it up. You know, we get to a point where everybody kind of gets a little stale, wipe the entire world, do a new mod pack. Sometimes we do vanilla. It's always something different. And every time it's always fucking different for all of us. Uh, just to give you a little idea of where we're at now on our server, I'm running all the mods nine. And, you know, all of my friends are on there. And every possible way to play is done. For bases, we have modified villages. We have underwater temples that were built. We have like a cozy cottage core theme. We've got a big cavernous pirate base. Um, which is mine. Dorden has, like, an island explorer base with, like, ships and tents all over it. Uh, Crescent doesn't have a base at all. He's just, like, a wandering nomad trader of his own right, just loading fucking chunks everywhere and crashing. We build a shopping district. We do a diamond economy. We, you know, kind of have a gentleman's agreement on, you know, if people have a shop, then, you know, try to buy from them if you'd like or farm it yourself you know we allow competing shops but nobody really does just to out a respect and it creates a really fun environment we have mini games the Storcy runs a little cafe and potion shop she sells food and custom potions and she has like these little collaboration potion vetting machines and all the other shops Iodon has like a prison marine shop and he has like a little sushi stand. Dordan runs a redstone shop with like a speakeasy elevator that takes you down to an underground casino and lounge. And he uses create and redstone have all these different types. He's got a slot machine, a double or nothing machine, uh, horse racing, all sorts of stuff. And you go down there and just gamble crescent sells like a custom backpack and storage on uh with all the modded stuff uh starry doe and corbin run a, a easily one of the prettiest builds i've ever seen using the new cherry woods and stuff and they sell all sorts of farmable materials there um i have a couple of shops as well i have a wood shop so all the different types of wood and I have a mob drop, and experience shop where you can get experience for free. It's like a, a membership. They sell wool. I have an industrial area. Um, we have escape rooms. We have Connect Four. We have Bullseye and a bunch of other games uh, that get built. It's an entire community and interactive land that we all play digitally, totally virtually. But if you caught on any of our servers, especially some of our longer running ones, it feels like its own game that isn't Minecraft, but it's all just Minecraft. It's all just Minecraft. And I think the passion that everyone has for Minecraft, the love, the different avenues that are available for you to play. I could just sit here and go on and on and on and on. If you haven't played Minecraft, if you have convinced your if you're one of seven people that have convinced themselves that it's a child's game, stop, get over it, go buy the game, go play. It's a masterpiece of a video game. Easily in my top five favorite video games of all time. The memories I have, the fond feelings that I have. No other game has ever given me that. And that is why it's so damn important. Woo! All right. This has been a very long episode. I knew it was going to be... I'm curious. I'm going to say it right now. One hour, 35 minutes pre-edit. That's what this mark is as I'm saying it. So let me know where that one hour, 35 minute mark actually is in the episode. I imagine probably somewhere around an hour or so. You'd be surprised how much shit I cut out of these. Um, just to give you the half-assed product you get now. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you so much for my friends who participated in giving me indie games to talk about. I hope if you listened to this entire episode, maybe heard one game that you'd never played before, never thought you'd try, and decided to give it a fucking shot. Um, hopefully... It's Minecraft, if you haven't played. I'm going to be playing Ib. I'm really looking forward to that one. Astrosi got me hooked on a game without even realizing what she was doing. So, super excited to give that a play. Uh, Just doing this episode makes me want to get back into some of the older games that I haven't played in a while. Uh, It's been a while since I played Don't Starve. It's been a while since I played Factorio, to be honest with you. So, I want to get into those. Maybe some more Baron Breakfast, stuff like that. If there's ever a game that you want to know about, let me know. Maybe it's something I could play and do a little review on in a podcast. I don't know what my next podcast is gonna be. I didn't really know what this one is gonna be until I decided to do it. Um I don't really have any specific things to talk about. I'm not gonna do a recipe. I think we're already long enough here. I think my next episode will probably be a cooking episode in its entirety. Again. It's a podcast that uh, is going to be a lot of things, whatever I'm feeling like talking about. So it's more about Gotis than it is what Gotis is talking about. So hopefully you learn something there. Um, I think it'll be a really cool podcast for those who are maybe not comfortable in the kitchen or on a barbecue grill. I'm going to be talking about both. And... If you're not a very great eater, and I've got a couple of friends who come to mind, and myself included for the longest time, I was a very picky eater, and how cooking at home will unlock your palate. Um, God, God, that sounded so cheesy. That sounded like a fucking seminar title or something. That was terrible. When you're in control of your own ingredients, layer by layer, you're a lot more inclined to want to try it because you have a better understanding of what's in there i think that's maybe what i want to say there without sounding like a fucking realtor or something could you imagine anyways that's all the time we got for today thank you guys so much for listening can't wait for the next one peace